welcome to That Might Be Cool, where we are in the epilogue to Endgame, uh, wrapping things up and, and looking back over all the, the best parts and worst parts of the last decade and, and looking forward to the future a bit. Uh, today, joining me on this journey is someone who's, uh, you know, a bit, a bit mischievous, maybe. You might say he's uh, familiar with uh, the realms of, uh, of the Marvel Universe. It's Daniel Kibblesmith. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Hey, thank you for having me. I get that. <laughs> Everything you just said, I totally, I got it. I got what you were doing. Look, I caught all of it. I'm, I'm glad. It was all very, very subtle. Uh, it was very subtle. It was cunning. Yeah, if you listen to, you know, like anyone who, who listens to this show know that, knows that I'm, I'm, a, I'm of a sharp wit and uh, always uh, weaving in the little hints and nods, much like sure. these Marvel movies. <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah. That's actually, that was actually very good. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> um, it sounded like you were being sarcastic about being clever, but then you did something clever for real. <laughs> well, cleverness is no stranger to you, Mr. Kibblesmith. Uh, those listening might be familiar with your work from uh, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert and obviously most relevant to this show, uh, your work on uh, Loki, which just dropped the new number one uh, just uh, a few days ago as the listeners are, are listening to this. Yeah, yeah, just hit comic shops on uh, uh, Wednesday the 17th uh, in 2019, if you're listening to this ages from now. <laughs> I guess that's true. I guess this is a, a, a sort of evergreen medium, um, so we should always keep that in mind, even though I'm always talking about hyper-specific time-related uh, references. But uh, it's it's nice to have you on here. Um, I think that there are few people uh, better fitted to uh, to talk about this kind of thing, especially with the Loki-related news that just dropped at Comic-Con. Oh, something happened? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's, there's a little thing. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm obviously incredibly <laughs> excited for for the Loki miniseries. Uh, it's it's um it's really it's really interesting the the Disney uh, the Disney's uh, Plus platform uh, launching it with a bunch of MCU uh, miniseries is uh, it feels very modern to me. You're starting to see things like uh, Good Omens that are kind of these yeah. six episode six episode events that aren't necessarily intended to have uh, second seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this case, to to launch a streaming platform, it makes a lot of sense because that's you know the highest profile thing they. <laughs> they're doing right now in that and 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 star wars i guess uh yeah and there would be big draws if you want to get to get people to subscribe to something i'm gonna i'm gonna subscribe to it <laughs> definitely I, no i want to see what a wanda and vision show looks like it's it's undeniable yeah i mean if you look at even just from the the marvel aspect of it it's already enough to want to sign on and it's kind of like there's there's these two opposing sort of philosophies where like you know warner launches their dc app and it's like hey we'll have in a few weeks we'll have one episode of something and then you can keep coming back every week for one more episode and it looks like disney plus is just like yeah i don't know we're just gonna like drop a ton of stuff on there and just see what happens yeah, do you know if those are all will those be released uh, sequentially? I don't know if if that was announced because uh, I know that uh, the DC shows come out uh, like you were saying they come out on a traditional television schedule. I wasn't sure how the uh, the Disney shows were gonna were gonna roll out. Whether you could binge watch a Loki uh, in one night, which I imagine his fans would love doing because yeah, they're very dedicated. <laughs> As I'm sure you've already been been made aware. Yeah, well, I'm one of them, so it's it's going well. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm happy to to be part of it. That's good, I'm, and I'm I'm curious actually. In, in talking about your your new Loki number one, it's been out now for uh, as we're recording this, been out almost a week. Uh, how has the response been? What's been sort of surprising to you, and and what have you kind of been hearing from people? It's been fantastically positive. Uh, I think that uh, people love that character so much mm. uh, that um, it's a breath of fresh air whenever he gets to be the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the one of the really encouraging things that I've heard is that people, um, my love for the character is is coming through, and uh, people are are seeing that you know I, I uh, relate to him. Uh, as strongly as as the readers have, uh, you know, for so many years, especially sort of since um, he started conforming more to his MCU uh, alter ego, you know, as yeah. as the comics uh, sort of gravitated towards the direction of uh, Tom Hiddleston as a more kind of um, you know uh, humanized, uh, very wounded, uh, sexy, but still you know kind of mercurial, dangerous. <laughs> untrustworthy <laughs> uh so as comics loki has have kind of taken on uh more similarity with the mcu loki um his fan base has just exploded across uh, all media so the fact that um 
the the fact that uh, we all seem to be on the same page, the fact that we all seem to kind of have a good idea of of who of who Loki is and what a Loki comic looks like, and uh, in in my vision, uh, he's this sort of indestructible uh, dirtbag. You know, I, I keep calling him the Marvel Universe's ex-boyfriend, uh-huh. uh, but he's he's really changed this time, <laughs> and uh, and I, I suppose we'll find out. You know, he's the he's the hero of the realms uh, now. After the the War of the Realms event, he's got as much goodwill as as he's ever had. Uh, so yeah. this is this is a real chance to to be a hero, uh, which comes with a huge amount of responsibility as as Spider-Man taught us. And um, Loki's not good at that part. <laughs> it's uh you know it's it's always it's always nice to have some you know some form of uh goal to attain in in a story something to 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 try and change and and maybe you know end up failing at changing but uh thus far it it seems like it's going to be quite a a wild ride uh and i can say i i certainly am among the number of loki fans that can feel that uh that passion for the character in this first issue um i'm glad yeah i'm really glad thanks it's uh was was that something as you're writing this character? Obviously, you talk about you know this the the comics Loki growing closer to the MCU Loki. Was that something you were sort of? Did you have the voice of Tom Hiddleston in mind as you're kind of like writing these lines and figuring out sort of his his kind of turmoil or or, or struggle with this new scenario? Not exclusively. I mean, I, I think it all kind of comes together to be synthesized into uh, one sort of. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> cohesive, cohesive blob of character. I think Loki's been around for the Marvel incarnation of Loki has been around for almost sixty years. Mm-hmm. So it's not that different in some ways than you know writing like a like a Batman or a, or a Wonder Woman, yeah. where you're trying to sort of get at the core of the core of the character and um, honor it. Uh, in a way that uh, absorbs absorbs everything that has kind of been canonized by all of us, you know, by the by the readers mm-hmm. uh, as as much as the writers. And I think the big difference with Loki is that so much of it is is recent, because he was a bad guy, uh, like a, a mustache twirling villain, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the god of evil. Uh, sometimes you know it's pretty explicit. <laughs> Uh, before you know, softening to be the god of chaos, and then softening to be the god of mischief, or, you know, god of lies, or the god of stories. Mm. Uh, and uh, I, I think that he's he's had a, uh, a a long journey to to almost anti-hero, uh, <laughs> and we'll we'll see if it we'll see if it actually works out. Absolutely, but yeah. The yeah, Tom Hiddleston's performances, and you know, the the characterization that. Uh, he and the the filmmakers uh, came up with uh, it definitely informed it, but it also informed the Agent of Asgard run, of uh, which you know I, I read and and uh, absorbed, uh, and uh, writers like Al Ewing and and Kieran Gillen uh, most uh, recently mm-hmm. uh, had, had such a such a huge impact on on the character. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm really really proud to 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 be part of it. No, totally, and I, I think uh, people are people are glad to have uh, have your voice uh, on board with it, um, and and obviously Oscar as well. It killed it on the art here, uh, and David on the colors. Like it, it's it's really a stunning book. Um, so anyone anyone listening should go and pick it up, and we'll I'm sure talk about uh, the book a bit more as we go on in this episode. Yeah, and I can't say enough. I can't say enough nice things uh, about the the art team. I was a big fan of Oscar's work on um, Mr. and Mrs. X. Mm. Uh, yeah. And I liked how unapologetically sexy and romantic yeah. uh, it was, and I thought this is pretty perfect for uh, for a dashing scoundrel. Absolutely. And then, uh, and then yeah, David David uh, Curiel, uh, who who's been doing Avengers, uh, I believe, did the the colors uh, for for us on Loki, and they're so superhero is what keeps uh, sticking out to me. Uh, the second issue, uh, Loki goes to. Uh, Iron Man's house and that goes poorly. And uh, Iron Man's house looks like Iron Man's house. It's it's <laughs> just it's uh, exactly where you think Iron Man manufactures his uh, his Iron Man stuff. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's uh, there's there's definitely some he he does like you say he takes advantage of the sexiness uh, very very heavily. There's a a very nice um panel here of 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 thor somewhere in the middle of the book of him sort of using his hammer and he's got like a sheet draped around him and it is 
one of the sexiest looks that Thor has had in, in quite a while, especially since he's been so mangled. We are very proud of that. I, I think my script says, uh, as naked as we can get him. Something to that effect. <laughs> as naked as we are permitted to show. That's perfect. Um, well, so let's, let's talk a bit about the MCU. Uh, uh, we just barely you know, had our long, deep dive into every MCU movie uh, leading up to Endgame. And now we're kind of in the, you know, the sort of um, <laughs> the afterglow, I guess, of, of all of that and kind of trying to figure sure. out like what all of this was and, and uh, you know, what was maybe w- more worthwhile, what, what was really impactful and kind of evaluating things as we move forward into this next uh, stage. So I'm curious, looking back over these first three phases uh, and, and talking about performances, of these characters, obviously people talk about how Robert Downey Jr. fully embodied the role of Iron Man and, you know, there was no one else for that role. But do you feel like was there was anyone else or, or really who do you feel like was the most... Um, you know, emblematic of, of the character they were playing or who sort of really became that role the most outside of him? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's one of my favorite things about the MCU is that um, I think superhero movies do really well when the person feels like the character in the comic in this way that can be very difficult to name. Mm. Uh, people will People will debate whether people will debate whether, uh, you know, a certain Batman actor feels like Batman. <laughs> But generally speaking, everybody kind of agrees that Gal Gadot feels so much like Wonder Woman when she's when she's on the screen. And I remember really feeling like Tobey Maguire felt like Peter Parker mm. in the in the 2002 movie. So that's something that I think that the MCU, uh, for whatever reason, really uh, made a priority mm-hmm. uh, to to kind of the the casting has just been through the roof. And I don't, I don't think you can discount how important that was to making it a cultural phenomenon. Hundred um, percent. I'd say uh, off the top of my head, um, uh, Chris Evans. Uh, obviously, mm. I think right right up there with Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. The fact that they can be those sort of that they can kind of be the Civil War guys that they can kind of butt heads. And both be so utterly confident uh, in their in their points of view. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think it's uh, <laughs> I don't think it's a coincidence uh, that they have such such devoted following and some people really really think of them uh, as those people. Yeah. Um, I think some movies have done better than others, but uh, Scarlett Johansson really feels like Black Widow. Yeah. Uh, it's especially uh, later in the in the infinity saga uh as we have been instructed to call it <laughs> i like how immediately like over the course of uh of you know all of these years there's always been so many different like fandom names for things and things that people on like wikipedia or whatever you know will sort of like correct things and call them and then as soon as you know someone from marvel gives something a name all of a sudden it's like this two-day period where everything just immediately you know, is is being washed away, and all the like internet history is just replaced with whatever the official uh, terminology is for everything. It's it's quite yeah, funny. it's really interesting. I mean, I think that it's it's something that you know, and I say this totally free of judgment, but I think it's something that is y- unique to uh, the the weird nexus of things that are incredibly popular, but also incredibly. Uh, well managed by a corporation because mm. because it's everybody gets with the program uh, you kind of <laughs> you kind of get you kind of get the official word uh, yeah. from Disney and because they've been doing a good job and you love it mm-hmm. you know you're like oh well that sounds that sounds right I mean <laughs> why would I ever <laughs> like yeah it's the yeah it's the tesseract now mm-hmm. it's not the cosmic cube I mean come on guys. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think uh, the the big my big takeaway with the MCU is, is you don't discount don't discount casting. And also, I thought it was very elegant the way that they sort of taught people the phenomenon of comic book continuity. Yeah, uh, because even on you know it it been a thing on television for some time. I think that Buffy, uh, it, you know, broad strokes. I think you know soap operas kind of paved the way for for. So poppers and comic books kind of paved the way for Buffy and then Buffy sort of paves the way for something like Lost. Yeah. And then you reach a point where you, kind of all televisions, you know, uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel mm, has, yeah. has, you know, a huge cast and dense continuity. Uh, and it doesn't have to. That's just become the sort of new norm for television storytelling. So I think that they kind of did a great job of teaching movie audiences like, hey, we're going to start doing that in the theaters mm-hmm. and you will be rewarded for paying attention. Yeah. 
No joke. I mean, it's it's become such a you know such a, a a highly and heavily poured over thing. I mean, it's really maybe Game of Thrones is the only you know pop culture phenomenon that has had as close of a, a sort of I guess study you know like this this really. Um, I, I'm trying to think of the word, but just, yeah, the, picking every single detail apart. Yeah, not since maybe – I mean, there are things that are designed for that, uh, sure. like a Lost, or um, I think of what a good job uh, Alex Hirsch did on uh, making Gravity Falls uh, something oh, God, that was yeah. full of clues and rewarded. Yes. Uh, but and you know and the result of that is that you get you get these really devoted uh really devoted fan bases mm. uh so it's i think educating educating the broader movie going populace on like what it is like to experience continuity mm-hmm. you know superhero continuity uh in the mainstreaming of that it was a really really risky uh <laughs> but it obviously paid off you know you end with the highest grossing movie of all time is one where you sort of have to see 20 other movies yeah <laughs> yeah so I don't think you can have a I don't think you can have a better example of your success. Yeah, I guess they've completely disproven that because I think before this this series of films, it was always assumed and it was always a given that you would have you know a a it would be a law of diminishing returns on any franchise that once you went past three movies or something that you know there w- that you would be making less and less money on each subsequent sequel yeah. it turns out you just had to go all in you just had to <laughs> you just had to commit i mean and the, and to be fair there's a there's so much variation within them mm-hmm. you know i think that the first the first thor feels like a romantic comedy with uh, action and 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 uh, sci-fi fantasy elements you know ant-man is a comedic heist movie yeah you know they figured out they needed a star wars mm-hmm. at some point so they you know have the guardians of the galaxy or like a dirtbag star wars <laughs> um so it's not the same as watching uh batman just fights you know or, or the sam raimi spider-man films just like kind of work their way through the list of bad guys sure uh there's a huge amount of variety but uh, yeah generally speaking i think they kind of broke the formula now, what do you think? One thing I'm I'm curious about is, uh, you know, obviously with these many movies, there there are certainly a, a fair level of of criticisms and and things like that, and there's things that they can improve on. What do you feel like was the biggest missed opportunity over the course of these, you know, three phases or whatever? I so I have my I have. I have the big like the I have kind of the real one, and then I have like the petty nerd one. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I think the 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 real one. Uh, is that it took too long to have uh, movies led by women and people of color. Uh, And I think that they were so rewarded for doing that, Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, in hindsight, they probably would have started earlier. (laughs) Um, I I guess you could argue that uh, a lot of the movies that came before, uh, say, Black Panther and Captain Marvel were... Um, paving the way for them or educating mm-hmm. the audience on the on the genre mm-hmm. uh, and the the you know hel- helping them fall in love with the tropes that would make those movies successful. But I think if Black Panther was the only MCU movie, there's no question that it would be great and also a commercial success. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's especially because that movie. It's not like that movie really was relying that much on the sort of established continuity of this universe right like it's it's yeah not really no and and it comes from it comes from such a love of filmmaking that mm-hmm. i think it it uh harkens as much to uh star wars or james bond or lord of the rings as it does to anything in the in the mcu uh canon yeah totally and then my fan my fan nitpick is that <laughs> uh I I understand the choice uh, in Civil War to make the quote-unquote villain sort of this everyman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it makes sense from a screenwriting perspective, uh, and that Captain America and Bucky and Iron Man are their own worst enemies in that, and that's the entire point. Uh, but uh, I think it should have been Red Skull from oh, Beyond the Grave. Interesting, interesting. Uh, and I, I think that uh, it would have uh, created a, an emotional through line uh, that uh, it, it doesn't necessarily have from the Captain America films. Yeah. That's... Uh, so it seemed like the most obvious thing in the world to me. Uh, I think especially, and I, I'm 
people might tell me I'm I'm wrong on this. Uh, it's I'll look it up after the podcast. <laughs> I think that Hugo Weaving does not necessarily play Red Skull in all of his appearances. He does not. Yeah. So he he was in the first Captain America movie, and then um, when he comes back in Endgame, it was uh, Ross Marquand who's you know known for his impressions uh, that right. uh, suited up. <laughs> so uh, given that you're already recasting Red Skull, if you have him on like a grainy '70s monitor, yeah, sure. saying. I was the guy behind this. <laughs> uh, I it, I think it would have had I think it would have had more oomph. Um, but you know that's the that's the comic book solution. And I'm I mean, honest, ma- <laughs> it's I, mature. I, it's very it's a mature solution to tell the story that they told. Totally, but uh, I, I, I can I can see that though. Like that that is a good way to tie it in emotionally. I mean, there was even the the theory, and I don't know if this was ever actually on the table. I feel like I might have heard something that it was on the table, but for. Um, Winter Soldier, that there was a, a possibility that uh, Robert Redford's character was going to sort of like turn out to be the Red Skull or like a new generation of, you know, like a descendant or follower of the Red Skull in a different way, you know, yeah. more, a more directly associated way. Uh, yeah, and I, I'd heard I'd heard that as well, and and I I think that one I actually. I, that one I actually think I would have objected to because I'm also kind of I'm a little bit allergic to that sort of. I think fan service uh, mm. in the movies, at least, kind of has its limits. Yeah. Uh, and I remember, because uh, I'm, I'm in my mid-30s, so I grew up during a time where everybody was going to play the Riddler. You know, everything. <laughs> and this was before the internet, for the most part. You know, you'd get a magazine or something, and it's, you know, it's like Robin Williams is going to be the Riddler. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah. Or Al- Alfred Molina would be the Riddler. <laughs> and Johnny Depp was going to be the Riddler. Joseph Gordon-Levitt or uh, Anthony Michael Hall. Like, people who are in the movies... Mm-hmm. You know, they don't end up playing Riddler. They don't end up playing costumed characters at all. And I think if if the fans are allowed to, if the fans are allowed to make all their theories come true, you end up with a movie that only has superheroes and supervillains in it. It doesn't have any cops or nurses. Hundred percent. You know, right? Nobody's playing the mayor. Yeah. Uh, everybody has to be. Everybody has to be a penguin or something. Yeah. So um, I get why. Robert Redford, you know, wasn't Red Skull. I get why Baron Zemo was just like a person whose life was destroyed because mm. those are those are filmic stories. You know, those are real screenplays yeah. uh, and and quite good movies. Very. Is that? And I'm curious in talking about them being, you know, good movies. Is what? What do you feel like is for you the most rewatchable uh, movie from the MCU? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, I'd say. Uh, uh, Iron Man one, okay. uh, probably, I mean, it's winning cause it has the, the advantage of starting first. So sure. it's probably the one, the one that I've rewatched the most, mm-hmm. um, as a fan of kind of all of them, uh, it's really fun to put on, uh, the first Avengers, the 2012 Avengers. <laughs> yes. I, I think the rewatchable ones are the ones that kind of tend to stand alone, yeah. uh, or be, you know, be self-contained while still kind of having a lot going on. Mm-hmm. So um, the ones I've seen the most are probably Black Panther, Avengers, Iron Man. Yeah, that's and th- and th- those are a it's a solid three right there. And I mean, like they, uh, there's like a nice handful of them in the MCU that are insanely rewatchable. I think Ragnarok is another one of those, or Guardians, like that are, that yeah. are you know you can just keep putting on and and they you know will yeah, always kind of have list. that. Uh, Spider Man Homecoming, uh, I would Ooh, say, uh, yeah. has it has all the same advantages. Um, and you know, it, it, there's a for rewatching. I think things factor in like kind of comfort mm-hmm. and you know feeling feeling like they're your friends. <laughs> yeah. So Guardians definitely has that. Spider Man definitely has that. Yeah, and I think like for me, rewatchable and and best, you know, are, are certainly delineated. Like I, I feel like, in my opinion, the best movie in the MCU might be The Winter Soldier. I still sometimes toss that around a bit and try to figure it out, but like. And I mean, that one, just because I am such an espionage like geek, I, I love movies like that. I, I do rewatch it a lot, but uh, but it's not quite as like comforting sort of, you know, uh, uh, put it on in the background at any point and kind of like just enjoy the moments or whatever of a movie yeah. as something like Spider-Man or whatever. Yeah, you can kind of you can kind of put on Guardians of the Galaxy and go do whatever and you're going to have a pretty good time. Yeah, totally. It's uh. I I, I I do like the balance of, of all those genres, but I, I am curious, is there like, do you feel like there's a genre that the, that going forward, they should kind of delve more deeply into, uh, that they haven't yet? That's a good question. Uh, I mean, I'd love to see them do a postmodern Western, mm. uh, the way that Logan uh, yeah. is, is so, 
I mean, it's very explicit about it. They watch Shane in the movie. <laughs> uh, but I think that even even before Logan, uh, the Wolverine franchise was very Western and mm-hmm. samurai inspired. You know, the comics obviously are incredibly samurai inspired at points. <laughs> Frank Miller um, is like the biggest weeb that no one's ever been called out before. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess uh, he he got in he got in before that was a thing. Uh, <laughs> So, um, as a, as a sucker for westerns, I'd I'd like that. Um, I'd like to, I like the way that Ragnarok uh, unapologetically is a buddy comedy. Yeah, and I'd like to see the I have extremely high hopes and expectations for the next Thor film because mm-hmm. what I like about what I like about Thor uh, one and two is that they take genuine stabs at romantic comedy which yeah. is a, a genre that i like and a genre that's really uh absent uh from from nerd culture generally speaking 100%. uh and it's something that i really like about the comic books you know i like how spider-man has uh such so much archie yeah oh yeah in its, in its dna so uh what i'd love to see is the next thor movie synthesize the, what we love about ragnarok with the sort of uh nascent attempts at romantic comedy the first two kind of don't totally nail yeah because there's so much asgard to take care of Mm -hmm. i i think that if if anyone because like it's it's interesting looking at um with some of these directors who kind of have their their distinct fan bases in in these mcu movies right you've got like your shane blacks you've got you know taika you've got james gunn these people who there's such a clear identity associated with with uh their films, I think that Taika is maybe one of the few directors in Hollywood today that could get uh, nerds to watch romantic comedies and get fans of romantic comedies to watch nerd movies. Yeah, I think so. And uh, my, me and my now wife, our uh, second date was what we do in the shadows. So oh, hell yeah. I, I, can't rec- I can't recommend it more highly. Uh, <laughs> so good. The, the, genre, the genre mashups is... is it's not even where the future is it's where the present is mm-hmm. yeah i mean there's it's where we're kind of i think you know there is a part of it that's even due to the mcu the fact that like you know you have so many of these movies that you have to like continue to try and stretch for other areas of storytelling you know in order to avoid getting stale or being bland uh yeah and, and i think that's the other thing too is i would like to see them stretch further right like you talk about in the first two thor movies there are there are stabs at romantic comedy throughout those movies. Um, and in a lot of these, you know, other movies, there's stabs at it being this or it being that. But I think that there's a, um, there's still kind of a hesitancy to fully embrace whatever genre they're trying to homage. You know, it still kind of has to stay within that general shape of, of what a Marvel movie or sort of a big budget blockbuster is. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I, they're certainly superhero movies first, and then the superheroes also will go on heists. Totally, I'd, or I'd, what have you. I'd love to see them go, you know, with with like a, a you know one of these sort of more crimey kind of movies. I'd love to see them go full Michael Mann, or you know, like go full horror with with the next Doctor Strange or whatever. Which it sounds like they might. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. the that's the way it's at least being the way it's being. Uh, uh, I don't know if marketed is the right word yet. <laughs> positioned, yeah. I mean, and you know, Cargill and uh, and Derrickson. I mean, they they do have legit horror roots, and so I'd love to see their you know their full uh, kind of unfettered take on that kind of uh, that kind of structure. Yeah, that'd be spectacular. And I think that once you've kind of done once you've done the sort of uh, the real one, you mm-hmm. know, the 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 more default one, uh, I think that you have a, a lot more a lot more freedom to to try something like that. Yeah, totally. Hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. I mean, that's how we, that's how we got Ragnarok, I imagine. So, yeah. um, now we in our uh, in our MCU little, you know, I guess not little, but our, our MCU miniseries here, uh, we talked a lot about the MacGuffins in each movie, uh, and kind of going through and sort of like ranking them and, and judging, you know, what our opinion was of these inanimate and every once in a while animate objects, uh, and their ability to sort of actually garner any interest from the audience. Uh, what do you feel like was your favorite MacGuffin over any uh, Marvel movie? Jeez, uh, <laughs> that's a that's a good question. I don't know about good, uh, but it's a maybe it's a tough question. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's. I mean, I, it's hard to top. Uh, it's 
so superheroes, just generally speaking, uh, I, I love how they are the thinnest of metaphors. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the things that they represent are often very, very close to the surface. And with the MacGuffins, they don't always represent anything. You know, some of them, <laughs> some of them don't really bother or have to. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to beat Tony Stark's heart. Mm. Yeah, and it's hard to it's hard to beat the first arc reactor because that's that one is in the fabric of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one is uh, inextricable, uh, you know, no pun intended or whatever. But from <laughs> the because that's that's what the movie is about. It's a, it's a physical manifestation of something. Yeah. You know, he gets his he gets his heart ripped out and has to. You know, he tries to build a better one, but the the previous one, the the one that he made during the trauma, mm-hmm. is the one that ends up saving the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's hard to beat because it's it's uh, woven it's woven into the story on every level. Um, yeah. I like the ones that do things. I think that <laughs> yes. the tesseract uh, is is fun because it, visually it's very compelling. Yeah, but you also get the device of uh, hypnotizing people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like those more than the ones you're just kind of chasing around. Like the first infinity stone, it's sort of like, it's sort of loosely, loosely connected to the idea of, of, you know, risking your heart again and, and, and accepting a new family because mm-hmm. it's uh it's a burden that one person can't bear. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's a little, it's a little more superficial, I think, mm-hmm. you know, and, and again, fantastic movie. Sure. It's just, it's hard to make a magic rock <laughs> incredibly, you know, no, I agree. <laughs> hard to give it a parallel emotional journey to your main character. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is that I think the movies where an Infinity Stone is heavily involved as a MacGuffin tend to be some of the weaker ones plot-wise, and there's ones like Guardians that cover up for it pretty heavily with, you know, strong character, uh, but then there's others, you know, that that don't quite uh, uh, hit the same mark. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think my my favorite sort of MacGuffin in any of these movies is probably the Winter Soldier in Civil War, you know, that, yeah. that because he does have his own agenda and that he's sort of interfering with the plot in certain ways and, and does have emotional resonance with both characters in that movie uh, or both both protagonists in that movie. Uh, I, I enjoy the fact that there is something to sort of care about and, and uh, be even conflicted about involving the MacGuffin. You know, you can understand why Tony wants him dead and you can understand why Steve wants to protect him. Um, and it's kind of, it's yeah, one of those things that I feel like is a missed opportunity in Thor two with, with Jane Foster. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about, I was thinking about Thor two and the winter soldier and, uh, the hypnosis effect of the Tesseract, uh, and how the sort of the, the transformation of Jane Foster never really feels permanent or dangerous or, or super clear even yeah. about like what's about what's happening it's not quite a, like a dark phoenix thing it's just <laughs> it's just you know it's bad she's yeah. ill or something you know something she's sick yeah uh, they, <laughs> they have to get the gunk out of her <laughs> and i can i can uh, understand why like that would you know that experience would maybe leave natalie portman being like yeah i think i'm uh, i think i'm done here you know, I, yeah, I read interviews with her when the first Thor came out, and and how she helped shape the character into this sort of a, a you know the poetry of science, like mm-hmm. making her more energized and exciting and, and less passive. Yeah, but um, I, maybe it's because the personalities of these characters are so strong that they work. But Jane Foster was also a character who historically kind of didn't work. True. So she she was it was I think it was a somewhat thankless role that they've been trying to fix for a while, and it took her being Thor in the comics yeah. to uh, get to get her to a place where it's like, oh yeah, we got to bring back Jane Foster. <laughs> and I, I'm curious what what uh, you know obviously with with them now announcing you know Jane Foster is going to be sort of you know taking the hammer and and who knows like if there's some form of red herring involved here or anything, but you know, hopefully it means maybe we'll get some Jane Foster Thor movies. Uh, but is there anything that you feel like, you know, strong storytelling or characters or, or, you know, any influences from the comics that they haven't really delved into yet in these movies that you feel like they should pull from? Oh, just in, in the movies across the board. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the obvious things are things that they are maybe shying away from because they've been done 
in uh, other movies. I think mm. Spider-Man is the biggest example Yeah, where they're like nine, you know, nine guys deep. You know, there's a Mysterio <laughs> movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. They're like nine guys deep on Spider-Man. Uh, I think it was really, really smart to uh, create a, to create a new MJ. Yeah. Because uh, the, there's so much baggage there. And, and you, you know, speaking of thankless characters, like Gwen Stacy kind of only exists to die. Yeah, true. At this point. Like, I can't imagine getting a star like Zendaya and being like, all right, you're in one of these because <laughs> your only job is to die so that the boy can be sad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I think, you know, with a modern with a modern eye, they're they're fixing a lot of stuff. But it also means there's a lot of stuff in there that I think still works. Like, this is my best friend uh harry he's rich i'm poor like that's interesting for teenagers yeah uh also uh his dad likes me more than he likes him that's still interesting like all of this stuff works you know 20 years after the uh sam raimi movies yeah and then it's like oh and then also his dad's gonna kill me (laughs) that is such a such a complex and rich uh sort of relationship there i mean really like spider-man in general you know for the most part i'd say like you know 80 percent of the enduring relationships in spider-man are sort of the famous ones do have some form of strong dynamic they always find a really good way to have some form of opposing conflict and relationship between peter and you know the alter ego of his villain and then spider-man and the villain himself there's always some sort of interesting double-sided crossroads there that's that's really fun to explore yeah they really they really figured they really figured that one out uh and that's really interesting i hadn't thought about it in you know in that way that uh everybody has everybody in peter's world has a relationship with both him and spider-man and and those relationships are usually at odds yeah so yeah i'd say it's the it's probably the richest supporting cast in in comics Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know the fact that like you had to wait so long to get J. Jonah Jameson back on the screen. I oh think it God. just shows how there's a lot of hesitation to uh, go back to certain wells yep. uh, for very reasonable, <laughs> very reasonable hesitation. <laughs> um, but uh, at the same time, it's the MCU is fresh eyes, and that's why we're getting you know new Blade. That's yes. why we're getting probably new Fantastic Four. I I uh, genuinely love the fact that Mahershala Ali just willed a new Blade movie into existence. <laughs> apparently, Shang Chi as well. We're both just yeah. we're both just materialized. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, yeah, it's that's the that's the most exciting news to come out of Comic Con uh, for me. I'm a huge huge fan of the Blade movies. Totally. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, I love uh, Mahershala Ali, obviously. Yeah. Because uh, you know who doesn't and <laughs> uh i think it's i think it's a great choice i can't imagine any anything tonally that i wouldn't want to see like whatever track they take yep i'm in if they make it a little lighter i think it's going to be really interesting if they mm. go full horror yeah uh, i think it's going to be interesting if they you know i think blade would be a very logical choice for that kind of michael mann crime yeah, uh, angle that you were talking about. If they wanted to do it like, uh, you know, like collateral, oh my you know, god, like he's, oh and he's just hunting god. vampires, and <laughs> you know, uh, you know, in a real American city, and it, it all feels like this very real, like kind of into the night thing. Yes, with this yes. like this this parallel world. <laughs> um, like I think a... that that'd be really strong, and it would, you know, like we were saying earlier, it would kind of adhere to the metaphor. Yeah, hundred percent. I. Uh... Man, I, I'm very curious to see who ends up directing that movie. Um, it you know it seems like with Mahershala, with sort of the property, like there's a very good chance that he could. You know, Marvel oftentimes is hesitant to pull in kind of bigger name directors and and people who are a bit more established. And but I feel like with that particular project, it might not be as difficult to make that happen. You know? Yeah, it could attract somebody. I agree with you. I know that they. I know that they tend to get people who are kind of on the upswing. Yeah. Um, and that in the past, uh, it, it hasn't always, you know, I know that Edgar Wright, uh, ended up uh, leaving Ant-Man, although you, I would assume that his, his, uh, conceptualizing is all over that thing based oh, on sure, the, the yeah. finished uh, project. But yeah, I mean, then there's like a Shane Black, yeah. uh, who, who comes in and says, you know, you've worked with Robert Downey Jr. before we love what you guys, uh, get out of each other. Yeah. Uh, and I love Iron Man three. I think it's really Same. underrated. I understand Same. why people might not. 
uh, in the the grander scheme of the the Marvel uh, the MCU. But if you look at them individually, or if you imagine that there are only three Iron Man movies and that gets to be one of them, I think yep. it's a I think it's a blast. Yeah, I think that I think honestly the only reason like obviously fans freaked out because of the the Mandarin thing and everything like that, and I can't wait to see what they do with the Mandarin and Shang Chi. Uh, mm-hmm. But I I think that like uh, in terms of a the character development of Tony Stark, you know, like having that sort of conclusion to his three act movie is is phenomenal. I think it, it told such a great uh, uh, tale of just like him trying to actually abandon this sort of addiction that he's had, you know, and 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 learn to be someone who can move on and not control everything and i I, like i don't know i i I do love that movie and it's it is so shane black it's got so many of the kind of tent poles of his style of filmmaking that i just can't not love it yeah i mean i was i i kind of knew i would love it and then i did (laughs) (laughs) totally um so with one thing that that I think is is a, a big sort of highlight of of your career, one of the the f- most fun things that uh, I think you've you've written in comics was Valiant High, uh, which deals with you know teenage superpowers and and kind of the the complexities of of that type of situation. Um, one thing we just heard of from these Phase Four Marvel announcements is that Kate Bishop is going to be integrated into the the Hawkeye series. Uh, obviously taking huge inspiration from Matt Fraction's run. Uh, but I'm curious, with Kate Bishop being introduced into this universe and Scott Lang's daughter, Cassie, already being there, do you feel like that Young Avengers is the next logical thing they do? And do you think that's something that can be kind of pulled off well in this universe? Yeah, I, I don't see why not. First of all, thank you for bringing up Valiant High, because I'm really proud of it. But it's, it's so uh, good. It, it's hard to get people to pick it up because it's in this very, it's in this very uh, uh, tricky spot where um, I think anybody can read it as a superhero high school comic and get it right away. We we worked really really hard to make that to make it accessible, but uh, you you get more out of it if you are a valiant reader or like especially if you were a valiant reader during the big. 2012 relaunch yeah uh valiant uh fans uh, a lot of them uh love arthur and armstrong and quantum and woody but then there's just as many valiant fans who are in it for the the hardcore action so <laughs> saying like oh like bloodshot is in this but you know he's the gym teacher and he's wearing little shorts uh that's not that's not really what they're buying comics for oh totally you know, like you know exo manowar is in it but a girl kisses him and he gets really nervous but it's so fun <laughs> I mean, like, that's the thing, is it's the best kind of thing to have in this kind of comic it's i don't know well, thanks it's what i go yeah. to comics for at least <laughs> yeah and and you know same i was talking about how i love the the you know the archie aspects of of spider-man um with them with anything in the marvel cinematic universe uh you know any plan that they have down the road it's it's real interesting because it's half this like carefully orchestrated perfect symphony and half this like totally random thing that they keep discovering by accident (laughs) uh so whenever my friends you know have like theories their theories are always wrong but yeah they are they are good enough writers and developers that they can I think find things along the way and reuse things, you know, to make it look like they said something up 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. regardless of at the time, you know, they even knew if they were going to be able to do like a Thor two. Yeah. Well, it's Uh, like they can write Thor two in such a way that makes it look like a seed was planted, even if a seed wasn't planted. So totally it's, it's that Vince Gilligan thing of like playing in the sandbox and, you know, finding the toys that you didn't know were buried and sort of bringing them back to, to use in unique ways. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if like aging up Cassie Lang works so well, even if they never do anything yeah. with a teenage Cassie Lang. But I don't see why not with Young Avengers, especially with the TV projects. Like if Kate Bishop is a character who's starting on mm. TV, it's a very logical, very oh. logical choice for uh, for Disney Plus. Oh man. I like literally I for whatever reason despite the fact that they just announced you know five series I didn't even think about Young Avengers as a TV series I was just thinking like oh yeah Young Avengers movies but that would be so perfect to have that type of like to to do a really really good sort of teenage superhero kind of soap opera X-Men Teen Titans drama thing uh, I think it'd be I think it'd be great I uh, mean there's no there's no shortage of those but this would be 
this would be one that was coming out alongside the biggest movie franchise in the world. Yeah, and there there is no shortage of those, of course. And I, I think there is like I think there is a a um, plateau that that type of show has has hit for the last I don't know ten years or so. Uh, you know, where there's there's a few instances that it kind of punches above that. I mean, the the show that I work on is one that I personally feel like is one, but but I think there are you know a few out there that do it but generally there's kind of this this level where they kind of hit and they don't necessarily you know go above like the kind of tropey soapy uh uh you know cheap sort of stuff and i I think that maybe a story like young avengers with the history that it has from obviously the the heinberg and chung stuff to the gillen and mckelvey stuff like it's there's there's potential there to tell some really really interesting stories for years yeah, there's a lot to work with. And Kate Bishop also, I should just say, is, is one of my favorite Marvel characters. I love oh, both of the same. Hawkeyes. Uh, but uh, I got to write Kate Bishop once for a uh, uh, this crazy digital comic that um, was uh, used uh, to uh, launch uh, some comic-making software on, uh, <laughs> on an app or a, or a website for Marvel. Uh, it was called Ta- I think it was called Tap Tap. Uh, so I got to write a comic where uh, Kate Bishop fought Modoc. Amazing! And, uh, if if you find it, uh, it's it's me and the you know the Marvel web hosts, uh, Lorraine and, and Langston, and I, I got to I got to do the voice of of Modoc in the <laughs> in the reading. So I'm That's very incredible. Very proud of it. So I would love to, I would love to get another chance to write uh, Kate Bishop, and I'll watch. I will watch the Kate Bishop TV show when it comes out. <laughs> Hell yeah! And that's you know what you just touched on a character that I think at this point uh, they're cowards if they don't incorporate into this universe, and that is Modok. I need that character to exist. <laughs> oh well, I've, I've I've got good news for you because I believe the I believe the uh, the animated series uh, is coming out. Oh, that's, uh, yes. F- fairly soon, yeah. Oh, man, I you're I forgot about, like, there's so much stuff that's going on in Marvel Entertainment and Marvel Studios that, like, sometimes you forget about projects, and I completely forgot about all those Hulu shows that they're, they're launching that I am incredibly yeah. excited for. Yeah, and when I mentioned casting earlier, um, I didn't, uh, I didn't mention that I think some of the best casting in the MCU ever has been on um, Runaways. Mm, and yeah. the Netflix, uh, the Netflix shows, and there's things I haven't seen. I haven't seen Cloak and Dagger. Uh, I haven't seen uh, about half of Agents of Shield. Mm. Um, but uh, when you're trying to make sure that the character feels right, yeah, uh, I would say, I mean, Christian Ritter as Jessica Jones is just insane. Yeah, uh, you know, Vincent D'Onofrio as the Kingpin. They just you're starting with so much when you get the casting right. Yeah. Uh, you, you have nowhere to go but up. Totally. No, I think, and I think those Netflix shows, and, and yeah, Runaways as well, I think that regardless of, you know, obviously it seems like the Netflix shows at this point, Marvel Studios is sort of disavowing any connection to their continuity. Uh, but I think that those will live on pretty well as at least, you know, Daredevil and Jessica Jones uh, and, and Luke Cage as well for, I, I loved the first season. I didn't uh, get around to watching the second one, but uh, I think that they will live on as like really great individual, you know, series. Uh, hopefully people will remember them really fondly and continue to watch um, them. I'm, sh- I'm sure in some capacity they'll be around. And, you know, if Blade is a hit, then yeah. everybody's going to say like, hey, did you know about uh, season one of Luke Cage? <laughs> yeah. That was honestly the most disappointing part of that season was like, hey, we're uh, 75% of the way through the show, but we're going to kill the compelling villain and then just create a brother out of nowhere. Uh, yeah, it wasn't perfect <laughs> it wasn't perfect I, I i i like some of the netflix shows more than others and I, I feel like they have trouble pacing themselves like an they don't really feel like a like a six episode hbo miniseries they don't really feel like a season of buffy yeah they're in this kind of in between you know am i supposed to binge it mm-hmm. but uh but there's th- that that aside that's sort of the growing pains of of doing something for streaming yeah, uh, there's they've got a lot going for them. I think they're on the balance. I think they're somewhat underrated. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, so one thing, you know, that that one of the few instances of Marvel announcing a movie for the MCU and then completely abandoning it was uh, the Inhumans movie that was initially announced. Uh, given your close relationship with uh, with Lockjaw, uh, my actual dog Lockjaw, my real life. <laughs> 
dog <laughs> that I own. You do. It's it's, it's pretty amazing that uh, that uh, you know you've you've managed to sort of tame uh, such a psychic and powerful entity. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what what was your thought when sort of that that movie got abandoned? Were you hoping for it, or were you kind of more glad that it ended up getting uh, uh, shelved? I was just curious. I mean, I go into all of these kind of just trusting them because I'm a fan of, of almost everything that, that comes out. Mm. So um, my hopes don't get ridiculously high unless it's something that I'm emotionally invested in, like like Blade or, or you know, the arrival of Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, or, or if I know the, the creative team a little bit. Um, but... I think with the Inhumans, I, it just made sense that they would, if they were announcing movies five years into the future, it seemed like they could lay the ground for something like that the way that Guardians of the Galaxy. I knew way more about the Inhumans than I knew about the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Uh, so it didn't it didn't strike me as far fetched at all. Uh, I didn't end up seeing the TV show, <laughs> and then you know the word of mouth wasn't good, so n- nobody told me to watch the TV show. Sure. Uh, I liked the gifts of Lockjaw quite a bit. <laughs> um, so yeah, I love I love the humans. I love those characters. I don't see any reason that an adaptation wouldn't work, but it ended up in this really this really ambitious kind of nebulous place. I mean, I talked about the pacing on the Netflix shows being a little off. I think Inhumans was in this similar vein where it was a network drama that was kind of a superhero game of thrones but also the the it was going to be a movie but then the Mm -hmm. pilot was in theaters uh (laughs) and i i think it was hard to it was hard to market as a it was hard to market as a property but i think it's also hard to market as uh as a product yeah and i I I don't know if people really knew how to how to participate with it no totally and i think like there's if there's anything i'm really not interested in seeing it's uh like a, the sets and and costuming and makeup and all that stuff of a network television show on a very like short schedule uh filmed in IMAX cameras and displayed on the most giant screen possible. Yeah, when you put it <laughs> when you put it that way it's it it sounds a little rough. It's in humans is also in humans is also the high budget the high budget concept. <laughs> yes it is. Uh which is which is rough. You you burn through you burn through your Jessica Joneses, mm-hmm. uh, and then you're left with the one with the you know the the fish man and the guy with the hooves <laughs> and the giant dog that presumably costs a billion dollars a second to have on TV. Man, I cannot imagine how much that cost. I like I I work in post on my show and and just thinking of the VFX budgets on the things we do and we don't have uh, anything nearly that intricate or, or insane on our vfx stuff i just i i my head starts to spin thinking about what yep. that must have it been. looks good lockjaw looks cool i'm totally. glad that they i'm glad that they made him a priority so <laughs> I, I don't know i think if you can make i think if you can make guardians work i'm sure that they can make uh you know the eternals is a similar thing where mm-hmm. people kind of don't people kind of don't know what it is but it's got so much talent behind it yeah and you know people have kind of invested their whole lives in in the mcu the way that you know they had previously with uh it was star trek or star wars or you know sports even just this is the thing that we do every saturday (laughs) so i I, yeah i don't think i don't think anything's impossible i would love to see the inhumans come back Mm -hmm. the way that i want to see the 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 used spider-man concepts uh start coming back i would love to see dr octopus in an mcu movie And I, I think we'll get there. I think maybe the like, because it sounds like Tom Holland's going to be Spider-Man for a while. And so I think maybe like the second trilogy that they do builds up to a Sinister Six movie. Uh, and maybe that, you know, in that second trilogy, they start to introduce the more familiar villains like like Doc Ock, like Green Goblin. And, yeah, and I don't see like not. And Fantastic Four in the comics was a doorway for so much of this stuff. Yeah. So true. if you were going to bring back something like the Inhumans, mm-hmm. uh, the Fantastic Four are, you know, adventurers who can kind of go and you know, re rediscover them. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's going to get to, it's going to get to a point like comic book continuity where they're mm-hmm. going to start rebooting stuff within and you're just going to have to roll with it. True. Yeah. It's eventually we'll probably get there. Uh, do, do you have a pitch? I feel like a lot of people have like their idea of how Marvel integrates the fantastic four or the X-Men like sort of retcons them into this universe. Is there like a strong opinion that you have on how to do that? 
Not really. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people about this, and we always say a version of the same thing, mm. which is uh, I think the Fantastic Four uh, were erased from time by Doctor Doom. Interesting. That's my prediction. My prediction slash, you know, how I would go about it. Uh, and I think the X-Men are living in secret. That's... Uh, so it's it's two different versions of the idea that they've been there the whole time. Yeah. I You know, I, 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 I like that... Uh... I like both of those pitches. I think the X-Men living in secret is one of the easiest and most fitting ways to have those characters exist here. Uh, I like that Fantastic Four pitch. My, my opinion has always been like in 2012 when a portal opened to space that these you know four astronaut scientists took the opportunity to uh, take whatever spaceship that they had at the time that couldn't quite make it out as far as they wanted it to and just jump through that wormhole and hope that uh, eventually they would figure something out. And oh, then, that's great. And it's in the spirit of the original, which was we're, we're in a hurry because exactly. we're going to beat the commies. Totally. And so I, I, I could have liked that. And then that like Dr. Doom was back here, you know, on Earth. And when, you know, maybe when Sokovia gets lifted into the sky and dropped back down, he decides to help them recover and restore the country to its original name, which was Latveria. Oh, yeah. Much like a Constantinople type thing. Uh, yeah, that I, would make perfect sense. <laughs> I like, I love all the like explorative thought stuff. This is like one of my favorite things to talk about with friends because, like you say, everyone kind of has a version that is sort of the same thing, which is yeah, like you say, they've been here the whole time, just missing or or you know like hidden or you know whatever, uh, you know. But then you know the the artifice through which to accomplish that is always a, a fun thought experiment. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a big fan of those, and then we're always wrong. Of course, uh, yeah, they always and they always come up with something like way better than we thought, and we're like, ah, oh, damn. It's a, or just you know, they didn't know that they could get you know Denzel Washington to play Reed Richards yet. <laughs> you know, like it, there's just some development happens, uh, and they they conform it in an elegant way. Yeah, of course. I uh, is there a, is there any strong casting choice that you have for any of the the characters that have yet to be introduced? Uh. Uh, kind of. I've heard Jim Krasinski and Emily Blunt a lot for yeah. Reed and Sue, of course. and they're married in real life. I think that's I think that's quite clever. Mm-hmm. Um, I always liked Hugh Laurie uh, for for Reed or or Doom. Oh, interesting. Um, but uh, you know, it kind of depends on when. Uh, I, I think I, I never totally bought the sort of younger ff yeah uh, but but you know if they if they hustle i'd say like a reed richards who's like 40s 40 40 to 55 you know somewhere in there yeah yeah i'm an old, i'm i'm an i'm an old guy now so all that <laughs> you know like when i said denzel is like yeah that's who i thought should have played reed richards like 20 years ago yeah 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 uh, now i don't want to make him put on a spandex suit and run around <laughs> he's, he's earned the right not to do that <laughs> i agree it's too too distinguished at this point um anyway that's uh you know we're we're about uh there on time but uh i want to make sure to remind everyone uh loki number one is in stores right now you got to make sure to go pick it up it's a hell of a first issue and i I can't wait to see where it goes um is this uh is this an ongoing a mini series or kind of uh you know wait and see what the response is kind of situation you know it's 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 uh, like all comics it's an ongoing if people buy it (laughs) Uh, so i'd I'd love it if i'd love it if people uh, went out and and gave it a chance uh even if you're even if you're not a hardcore loki fan because they've got it already they got it on wednesday so uh now we need now we need the people who are open to checking out new things yeah yeah no people uh make sure you go pick it up i mean it's on comiXology it's in your comic book stores wherever you go uh and you can also uh while you're at it pick up uh black panther versus deadpool or valiant high or lockjaw they're all very very fun and uh exciting series i i really enjoy them and always very funny like even even when they're not, you know, specifically like this is a funny humor book, it still uh, still always has a lot of, uh, of of you know humor and life in it. Thanks. Yeah, man, that's that's what I'm going for. You know, it's not. Uh, I love stuff like uh, you know Pet Avengers, mm-hmm. uh, but you know it's 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 not. They're not joke comics. They're comic comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you like superheroes and continuity, you'll you'll like these. But uh, that being said, I I come from comedy and and I want them to be funny. The you know the way the movies are funny. Totally, hundred um, percent. And then uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, I'm uh, Kibblesmith, uh, at Kibblesmith, across all social media. It's just my last name, and it's always available and very affordable. There you go. So I'm easy to find. <laughs> right on. Uh, and then uh, everyone, make sure you're watching the, the Late Show with Stephen Colbert, which Daniel writes for uh, uh, weeknights at uh, 11.30 Eastern. Is that it? Yeah, 11.35, 11:35. technically. Okay. But, you know, you'll, you'll get to see the weather. 
There you go. Um, and then uh, but, uh, when we uh, finish this off to, to kind of top it off and, and get one last little uh, little take in, what is your favorite Stan Lee cameo? Oh, man. I'm just going to say Guardians. Nice. <laughs> I'm say Guardians. No, 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 no. I like the one in the first Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie where he's Ooh. listening to the music uh in the school library and they're fighting right behind him i think uh the non-mcu ones get kind of overlooked true and he he hams it up uh and it's it's a really clever piece of filmmaking i do really like that one that's there there's so many moments in those movies that i think uh are are really clever and fun and that is certainly one of them uh daniel thank you so much for for joining the show today thank you so much for having me that might be cool.com you never know. <laughs>